Good morning. Happy Thanksgiving, Happy Advent, Merry Christmas, all that kind of stuff gets rolled up this time of year. We're talking about hope this morning, and there's two basic kinds of hope. There's the wishful thinking hope, and then there's like a confident hope. So wishful thinking hope is the kind of hope that says, I hope it doesn't snow very much this year. Okay, yeah, you can hope that all you want, but I mean, based on where we live and close to the ocean and all that kind of stuff, I mean, you can hope, but you know, yeah, not a whole lot there. Or uh, wishful hope is, I hope Aunt Mabel doesn't give us fruitcake again this year. Maybe she'll actually give us something that we like, you know? That's, that's wishful hope when there's no basis, there's no real reason to believe that something is going to happen or come to pass. One of the definitions that the dictionary gives for hope is a feeling that events will turn out for the best. Right? That's what hope is a lot of times for us. We, we feel like, man, I, I think things are going to turn out. I feel like things are going to turn out better. But there's really no basis for that. And so that wishful kind of hope really doesn't help us very much when we get into the dark seasons of our life. So a, a friend of mine whose name is Donnie, I, I worked with him about 20 years ago, and we've stayed in touch via Facebook. And I, I talked with him this last week, and it, about two years ago, God was working in his life and calling him to move from the job that he was in, secure position, everything was going well, but God was calling him to make a change and do something different. And so, as a result, he moved from the East Coast, from New Hampshire, all the way to the West Coast in, in Oregon, and to, to kind of start over, and he has a wife and, and three young kids. And so, it's been almost two years since he made that move, and God still has not opened up an opportunity for him. He's still waiting. And so that's a season, those kinds of seasons in our lives, it's like, God, what are you doing? I mean, I thought I was being obedient to you. I thought I was doing what you wanted me to do, but here I am now kind of waiting and, and without hope. I mean, what do we place our hope in when, when those kind of situations are coming up? We need, we need more than a wishful hope in, in those kind of moments. We need a, a confident hope. So I, I know that it's the holidays I know that we're kind of putting our best face on and we want everything to like look pretty and smell good and, and all that kind of stuff. I know that's, that's kind of the season we're in right now. But I want to just give us permission for about the next 30 minutes to just be honest and just be, be real with where you're at in your life. And if you are in, ask yourself if you're in a season where there's some darkness, where you don't know what the next step is that you should take. So some of you, I'm sure, are in relationship darkness, are in some situations where you're like, man, something has happened here and things have gone south. Maybe it's a, a spouse or a parent or a child or a coworker or a neighbor or whatever. Things have just kind of gone south and you're like, I, I really don't know what to do next. I really don't know where to take the next step. I feel completely stuck. Some of you are in a, a season of darkness related to, to medical issues. You know, while some of us this past Thursday were giving thanks for our good health, some of us just got a diagnosis for something that is just kind of rocking our world right now, and we're not sure what's going to happen next. We're not sure what the future holds for us. So there's kind of this darkness that's kind of 
looming there. And if there's not a, a personal issue that's going on for you, then, then we can always look at our world situation. We can always look at you know, the, the fear that a lot of people have as to you know, what's going to happen next in our country, in our world, terrorism attacks, refugees, I mean, just all kinds of stuff going on and all kinds of reasons why we might not have hope at this time. And yet God calls us to have hope in the midst of that. Not, not a wishful thinking hope that's not based on anything, but God gives us something different to base our hope on. And that's what we want to look at this morning. So whatever season of darkness you may be walking through, God provides something for us here this morning to give us hope that, yes, in fact, things are going to get better and there is reason for confidence even looking into our future. If you would take a Bible and turn to the book of Isaiah chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's some, there should be a white one close to you there. And Isaiah chapter 9 is on page 638. So we're starting into a new series. This is our Advent series. Advent kind of works out really well this year because we got four Sundays before Christmas. And then we'll have Christmas Eve to kind of wrap up our, our Christmas celebration here this year, our Advent celebration. So Steve pointed you to our Advent wreath, like life-size, huge over here on the wall. Each week we are going to be kind of highlighting our theme for the week. And I want to remind you what Steve said about the devotional. So the devotional that is available online has really one devotional per week. So it's not an overwhelming thing where sometimes you have something to do every single day and you get behind. There's one devotional really per week to kind of focus in on the theme that we're talking about. And so I encourage you to do that on your own, with your family, with a friend, with someone. They're, they're, uh, it's a, a helpful kind of resource. But this month we're going to be talking about, as we talk about Advent, we're going to be talking about a lot about light so the light of Christmas. Christ is the light of Christmas. But today, as we get into this, we're going to start by talking about darkness. Because we're not really going to appreciate the light until we appreciate how bad the darkness was. I, I think we romanticize Christmas so many times because we, we're putting up beautiful lights and making everything look good. And the reality of the first Christmas, the first advent when Jesus came, is that Jesus came into a very dark world. He came into a dark situation. He came into a country that was possessed, that was occupied by a foreign nation. They didn't have freedom. And so he's coming into a world that's very dark. And that's why his light shone so brightly. So let's read in Isaiah 9. Now Isaiah 9 is, we're rewinding back 700 years before Jesus arrives on the scene. And this is a prophecy that Jesus would come. So Isaiah chapter 9 verse 1. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. How's that for a Merry Christmas? verse right there. But now we, we go on to something that's a little bit more familiar. Verse 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. So we start with darkness. 
we go to light. To fully appreciate this, we, we need to understand what was going on at the time when Isaiah was talking about this. Because anytime that we're, we're looking at a scripture, we need to first understand what it was saying to the people who were hearing it for the first time. And only then should we jump to what does this say to us? What does this communicate to, to us? And so we need to do a little bit of ancient history here for, for just a couple of minutes. Okay, nothing says Merry Christmas like a little ancient history. Some of you are geeked out by this because, you know, you're the ones who spent the weekend watching the History Channel while everybody else was decorating and Black Friday shopping. All two of you, okay, you're, you're excited about this. But everybody, we need, to, we need to understand this a little bit. So let's go back and think. 700 years before Jesus, it talks about the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, okay? It says they would be brought into contempt. The word, the idea there is humiliation. And what it's talking about here is that there was going to be an invasion from the neighboring country of Assyria. So Zebulun and Naphtali are to the north in the land of Israel, and Assyria is a neighboring country. Assyria, if you know anything about ancient history, was a cruel, they, they were terrible people. You could call them terrorists. I mean, they would come into a, a land and they would just overrun it and they would do horrible things, torturing people. And so they were coming into this land of Zebulun and Naphtali. And so that's why Isaiah is saying it's going to be dark. It's going to be ugly. It's going to be difficult. This is a little hard for us to wrap our heads around because we have never experienced what it's like to be occupied by a foreign nation. Most of us haven't. Maybe a few of you are here from another country and you've experienced that. But most of us don't know what it's like to be occupied by a foreign nation. We know what it's like to be attacked by enemies outside of our country, but we don't know what it's like to be occupied so think back, some of you can remember back to Kuwait being overrun by Iraq. And so suddenly, overnight, like their, their army is not able to withstand the Iraqi army. Suddenly they have lost their sovereignty as a nation. And so they have this occupying force in there. Today we could think a little bit of what it must be like for the Syrian refugees, what the distress must be like for those people who no longer, their life is no longer the same as what it had been. So think about what it would be like to be occupied by a foreign nation. You, you have uh, no freedom. You have limited resources, limited choices, no, no ability to kind of choose your, your own path. And so that's what Isaiah is painting this picture of what is to come. So with that in mind, let's read verse 1 again. She says, there will, there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish, in the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. He said it, it was dark in, in the former time, but it's going to be light. Verse 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them the light has shone. So he says... Right now, you may be experiencing darkness, but it's not always going to be that way. Isaiah, in another place in, in his book, described what darkness feels like for us. In Isaiah chapter 59, he said, We hope for light and behold darkness, and for brightness, but we walk in gloom. 
We grope for the wall like the blind. We grope like those who have no eyes. Have you ever felt like that in life? Like just kind of groping, like I just can't see my feet in front of me. I can't see my hand in front of my face. I don't know what the next thing is I'm supposed to do. I'm walking in darkness. And Isaiah says, it's dark right now, but it will not always be this way. Now, it's, it's not going to come fast. It's not going to come as fast as they might like. Well, so he, he says it's not always going to be this way. There is a light that is coming. And so what, what produces hope for us, here's, here's the point for us this morning, where confident hope comes from. Trustworthy promises produce confident hope. Okay, trustworthy promises. See, um, wishful thinking hope has no substance underneath it. But confident hope comes from the trustworthy promises of God. Now, they may not happen according to our timetable. They may not happen as fast as we would like. So Isaiah is making this prediction, but the people that he's talking to, these people of Naphtali, people of Zebulun, they have a hundred years more of this occupation that they're going to have to endure Then at the end of the occupation, they're actually going to be taken into captivity. They're going to actually be displaced out of their country for another 70 years. And so then, not only that, but it's going to be 700 years before Jesus comes and actually fulfills this prophecy. So Isaiah is saying, it's dark right now. It's not always going to be dark, but the light may not come according to your timetable. So you have to keep holding on to the promise in the midst of the darkness, the trustworthy promises that that God has made. The problem is, too often when we are waiting, when we're waiting for God to fulfill a promise, we start to get antsy, we start to get tired, and we start to look elsewhere for our hope. We start to look for other sources of hope. And so if we go back to Isaiah chapter 8, he talks about some of the sources of hope that are not going to deliver for us in the future. In Isaiah 8, verse 11, he says, For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. Okay, so one of the sources of hope that we sometimes go to is we, we listen to the people around us. Where are they getting their hope? And he says, don't, don't fear what these people fear. I mean, these people were fearful because they're looking at their circumstances. And he says, don't take your cues from the people around you who are in fear. But he's going to direct us to a different source. So could there be any more relevant scripture to us right now in, in our situation who are fearful about our future and wondering how, which direction our country is going to go and are things going to get better. And, and we have you know, all the talk on Facebook and talk shows and news channels and everywhere else that's kind of stirring us up with, with a lot of distress. And he says, don't, don't fear what they fear. Don't be in dread. That, that's looking to a false source for hope. Another false source of hope down in verse 19. He says, when they say to you, inquire of the mediums 
and the necromancers. These are people who are predicting the, the future, especially by contacting the dead in seances. He says, inquire, when they tell you to inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? See, there, there are a lot of people, there were a lot of people in Isaiah's day, and there are still a lot of people who are looking to wrong sources for their hope. Everybody wants to know what the future holds. Everybody wants to know if they can count on things getting better in their life. And so some people go to tarot card readers. Some people read their astrology predictions. And, and God says to Isaiah, don't, don't go there. Don't go to those false sources of hope. You don't, you don't need those people to try to guess and tell you what the future holds. In verse 20, he says, to the teaching and to the testimony. If they will not speak according to this word, in other words, what God has already spoken, it is because they have no dawn. They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. Okay, now now I want you to watch as we continue reading through here. I want you to watch the progression that happens when we put our hope in the wrong source. So it starts with putting our hope in a source other than God, trying to find out about our future. And then it says in verse 21, they will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. Okay, and when they are hungry, so, so when we put our hope in the wrong source, what we find is we're going to become empty because it's a source that can't deliver for us. And so it, when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. So when we choose the wrong source of our hope and we become empty and hungry, then we blame God for that because we think somehow he's at fault, even though we're the ones who have placed our hope in the wrong source. And then finally, verse 22, then they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. So the reason, by the way, that Naphtali and Zebulun were were in the state that they were in, the reason that they were going to be overrun by Assyria was because of their own sin. It was because they had been idolatrous, because they had been turning to other gods, and God said, I've got to bring judgment on you to try to turn you back to me. And so they're in this darkness, blaming God for their situation, and in fact, it all began with them looking to the wrong source for their hope. So, Isaiah says, let's not look to the wrong source of our hope. Let's back up and see what the source of our hope truly is. Verse 17, this is a key verse we're going to camp on for just a moment here this morning. Verse 17 in chapter 8. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Do you notice that this this is a declaration that... Isaiah is making and encouraging us to make. I will wait for the Lord. I will hope in him. Would you say that out loud with me as a declaration? I will wait for the Lord. I will hope in him. Say it again like you mean it. It's a declaration. You're choosing to transfer your hope from something that's a false source into the true and living God. I will wait for the Lord. I will hope for him. In him. Now, don't miss the middle part of this verse because it's, it's a key to helping us wait. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. 
So at the moment, Isaiah says, it's, it's like God is hiding his face. It's like we're not seeing God act. We're not seeing God deliver on his promise yet. But I will continue to hope in him. You may be in a situation right now where you're not seeing God work as fast as you would like. You're not seeing God's hand. Maybe you feel like God is hiding his face from you. Your financial situation is just pressuring you, your relational situation. You've got a difficult person that you've got to deal with day after day after day. You've got this pressure that's mounting in on you, and you feel like God is hiding his face. That's when we need this declaration of all times. I will wait for the Lord, even though he's hiding his face right now. I will hope in him instead of turning my hope to some other false source that can't deliver. I will trust your promise that light is coming. Trustworthy promises produce confident hope. Confident hope. See, when God makes a promise to us, God already knows what the outcome is going to be. See, see, we have a hard time with this because for you and I, like we... We see things on a timeline, on a continuum, and some things are past, and some, something right now, this moment, is present, and then there's a future that, that's coming. But for God, God sees it all at once, so when God makes a prediction, it's not a prediction for him, it's just an observation of what already exists. And so when he makes a promise, we know that it will come to pass. Isaiah says this in chapter 46, he says, remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times what is not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. So God sees it all laid out in front of him at once. Revelation says, he is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. So when he predicts something, we can count on it happening because he already sees the fulfillment. It's trustworthy because it already exists in his reality. So we know that Isaiah 9 is trustworthy. We know that the prediction that the darkness will pass and the light will come. We know that that is trustworthy because it's actually already been fulfilled. So Matthew in, in chapter 4 says that this was fulfilled in Jesus. So speaking about Jesus, leaving Nazareth, Jesus went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. So what Isaiah said 700 years before was fulfilled in the light coming. And so we know that what Isaiah went on to say in Isaiah chapter 9 will come true, even the parts of it that have not yet come true. In, in Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7, this is familiar to many of us at this time of year. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end, 
on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So remember, all of this was said 700 years before Jesus. When Jesus came, some of this was fulfilled. So verse 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Okay, that was fulfilled because a child was born. Jesus was born. The government shall be upon his shoulder. That began to be fulfilled because he inaugurated the kingdom. He began a kingdom of God on earth. Now, as we continue reading on here, there is, it is future for us still. See, for Isaiah, all of it was future. For us, part of it is past and part of it is future. But so as we read on in verse 7, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. That hasn't been fulfilled yet. That's yet to come. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. That is still yet future, but we can be confident that it will happen because it's a trustworthy promise because we've already seen part of it become fulfilled. It's trustworthy promises that produce confident hope. So whatever dark, whatever darkness is going on in your life right now, know that there's a light that will shine into that darkness. The light is Jesus. The light is something that he accomplished in the past and something that he will accomplish in the future. What he accomplished in the past was giving himself as a sacrifice for the forgiveness of my sins and your sins so that we can have a life, we can walk through this life with him today and we can spend eternity with him because he's washed our sins away. That's what he has already accomplished. But there is more yet to come when he will set everything right again, when there will be no more crying, no more disease, no more turmoil. He will rule with righteousness and justice and we can be confident that that will happen because of what he has already fulfilled. It's a trustworthy promise that gives us confident hope. I want you to hear from a couple, a a real life example of someone who is putting hope, who has found hope in the midst of difficult circumstances. So Tom and Rhonda, if you would come and join me here for the close here of the message. Tom and Rhonda um, have been at Grace Point for about eight years. And I knew them for the first probably seven or eight months that I was here um, strictly through prayer requests and just some medical conditions. They've been dealing with some difficult medical situations here over the last couple years. And I've known them only through prayer requests until just a few weeks ago when they came up and introduced themselves after the service. And I got such a delightful time to to sit or to stand and talk with them. And I thought... What, what they shared with me. I, I thought this is going to be so good for everyone to hear at some point. And so as we were talking about hope today, I thought what a, what a great example and testimony. So I really appreciate you guys sure. coming. So, so Tom, would you start and, and just describe for us kind of some of the darkness that you guys have been walking in related to these medical challenges? Sure. Um, about two years ago, our lives were normal just like most of you. My wife managed a busy restaurant, and um, she um, 
she had an attack of viral meningitis. It's, it's in her. She's had three attacks over the past 20 years. Uh, viral meningitis is like shingles, chicken pox. It stays in you. She takes medication, but it doesn't guarantee you're not going to get it again. And she had an attack and got rushed to St. Mary's. It's, an, it's probably like the worst headache you've ever had times 100. And she's in the hospital for about 10 days getting treatment. And she recovered from it. It takes, takes a couple of months before you start to feel better. And, but unfortunately, before she got totally better, she, um, she got an ear infection, which reactivated the whole thing, and it became a more severe brain infection called encephalitis. Uh, I found out later that like one out of four people don't leave the hospital mm. if you've had encephalitis. So we were at multiple hospitals here in the area and saw dozens of doctors, neurologists, you name it. And they really had no answers for us. Um, basically, after a couple months, just got sent home from a major hospital downtown with basically, you know, we hope you get better. You know, it might take a long time, but we'll see. And so we didn't give up. We went to another hospital where we found a, a general neurologist who finally put together Rhonda has some autoimmune issues, and she says, I don't think Rhonda's getting any better. I don't know if those pictures are up there. You can see what, oh, yeah. she, what she, she looked like. Yeah. That's what she looked like at the worst of it. And she's looking like this, and we go to see this doctor downtown. He says, I think your autoimmune issues are, are preventing the healing. So there's this treatment that I'm going to recommend, but we might have problems with your insurance company because it's, you know, it's just considered experimental and it's very expensive. Mm. It comes down to cost. She was right. The insurance company refused to pay for it. We appealed. They denied. We appealed again. They denied. So exactly about a year ago, we got the third denial letter and it was very, it was very um, disheartening. You know, and, you know, and I'll be honest with you, you know, we're saying to the Lord, you led us to this doctor. This doctor had a treatment, and the treatment, we can't get it. So um, several months before, back in the spring, like six months before, my, our primary physician had recommended that we call Johns Hopkins. And I did call him and got an appointment, but it was eight months, eight months wait to get in to see the neurologist that we needed to see. So after all this denial of the insurance company, we were right there to go to see Johns Hopkins. Rhonda didn't even want to go. After we got that third letter, she was so discouraged. She's like, I don't want to go. And I'm like, well, we waited eight months. We're going. So, so we go to Baltimore, and um, 10 days before last Christmas, December 15th, and we meet this guy, Dr. Venkatesen. And uh, he... Uh, not only is a brilliant doctor and a professor at Johns Hopkins University, but his specialty, what he's studied his entire life, and this guy's probably like your age, 40, 44, 45. He, he, I'm sorry, I don't know if you're older. I'm a little older than that, Okay, whatever. Anyway, he says to Ron, he says, I don't take very many cases. He goes, but I'm going to take yours. 
And he's probably, because he's a researcher, he's probably fascinated that he's got a lady in front of him that survived meningitis three times and encephalitis. Or so, brain infections, and here I am. Right, so, so he says, um, I agree with that doctor. He goes, I think that's the treatment that you need, and we're going to get you that treatment. I'm going to bring you to the hospital next month. You're going to stay here a week, and we're going to get you those treatments. And I'm like, Doc, the insurance company won't pay for it. And he goes, he looks at me, and I still remember the look on his face. He just shook his head, and he says, don't worry about it. He goes, if they won't pay for it, Johns Hopkins will pick it up. Praise the Lord. So, you know, it was like, you know, we, we could have had the treatment up here, but the Lord wanted us to have the treatment at the best hospital in the world, arguably, Mayo mm -hmm. Clinic, Johns Hopkins, you take your pick. Mm -hmm. But these people, and from that point on, it took several months. It, it's not a, it's like a chemo drip therapy. She went in, had three of these treatments, and the difference from that to this, and she's still a long way. She can't drive. She doesn't sense things, but the wheelchair is gone. The walker is 90% gone unless we go to Walmart. She wants to trundle around her own, and she used the walker. <laughs> but um, So there's been a lot of progress. And, Tom, I'm going to ask you, if you don't mind, if you could scoot back just a little bit because I want to give as many people an opportunity oh, sure. to be able to see Rhonda as yep. she's talking here in a minute. Thank you. Um, so you've seen a lot of progress, but I, I think just to even paint the darkness just a little bit more before we get on to the hope. I mean, yeah. clearly you, Rhonda, were just a really energetic, life-filled kind of person. Um, Couldn't it, stop me. Yeah. I worked, manager at a very busy restaurant, take care of home, children, grandchildren, church ministry, homeless. I just, and then... All of a sudden, one day, your life is not as you once knew it. And I may, uh, it, it, it's, I, everything was stripped away from me. My job, my independence, my ability, I had to learn to walk again and talk again. I had physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy. The brain damage that I suffered, Pastor, was temporal and frontal lobe. And the nerves that were so severely damaged has prevented me, I can't even go outside by myself. Mm. I have no sense of mm -hmm. space, time, day, what hour, it just doesn't register. So I've gone from this living, lively, vibrant, energetic to this stillness. But God says, be still and know that I am God. Be still. I have a one, I've been walking with the Lord for over 30 years since the birth of my daughter Stephanie right here. And, uh, and, church, Bible study, ministry, but there's, there's something sweet about this. There's oneness, there's intimacy. I, my prayer life, my study of God's word, my alone time, it's like no other. It's, 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 God has me right in a place 
that I may never have been have I not gotten sick. Mm. So you have started answering this question already, but where, where have you found hope in the midst of all of these really difficult circumstances? Well, uh, I've found hope and encouragement. First and foremost, the love of the people. God has just given me so many people have lifted me in prayer. So many people have come to visit me when I was couldn't get out of the bed. So many people have sent cards and encouragement. And human compassion and kindness is so vital in the journey towards healing. But there were those days still when Tom would come home and I just didn't think I wanted to live another day. Mm -hmm. And I just... Yeah. And then he would get the Bible. And that's where the encouragement, that's where, that's where the hope is in God's word. His promises, like you said. Human hope has doubt and wish, like you said, wishful. But God's word is powerful. There's confidence, there's assuredness, there's, uh, there's, there's security mm. in God's word. And that's where my hope is. My hope is, I, I thank God for the doctors, uh, I really do. But the doctors at John Hopkins, they say to me, you should not be here today, Rhonda. By medical science, you should be dead. Four brain infections, autoimmune. And then you know what I say to them? Do you know my God? I live because he says I live. Do you know my God? I'm here because he says I live. I live because Jesus lives. And I'm here to glorify God. You're here to glorify God. We're all here to bring glory to God, no matter the circumstances. No matter what you're going through. No matter, God can use you to bring honor and glory. And that's why we live mm, that's and that's where my hope is my hope is not in doctors never has been and if God brings them to me praise the Lord if he gives me the medicine praise the Lord the doctors say they think that I will make full recovery it's just going to take so uh, God is if you can see slowly raising me up he's raising me up from the bed to the wheelchair to the walker no stuttering hardly. I'm strong nutritionally. I was down to 80 some pounds through the illness. I didn't think I would, my family didn't think I was going to live. They really didn't. And now I'm alive. My spirit, okay, I might still have some damage, but you can't kill a spirit. My spirit is as alive today. It's alive. Mm. My spirit is alive. So is there, is there a particular, we're talking about trustworthy promises, giving confident hope. This mm -hmm. So is there a particular mm -hmm. promise mm -hmm. that you guys have been holding on to? Yes. Exodus. Exodus. Exodus uh, 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 15.26. I am the Lord who heals you. It's good. The doctors at John Hopkins say, we've done what we can do. 
the rest is up to God. And that's what the doctors said. They're the kind of doctors you want. The ones that recognize that they can only do what God allows them. And they said that to me. Rhonda, we can only do what God allows us to do. We can only do what medical science, the rest is up to the Lord. So my full recovery, we're going to watch now, Pastor. We're going to see God do what man can't do. And I will fully be restored. I will walk again on my own. I will drive again. It's just like you said in your message. Uh, it's a journey. And God's teaching me through this journey don't look back, Rhonda. The Bible teaches us not to keep looking in the past because it's, it's over. And I'm not guaranteed tomorrow. But Jesus said, Rhonda, if you're here today, I'll walk with you. I'll protect you. I'll provide for you. Walk with me this day. And shall tomorrow come? Because we're not guaranteed tomorrow. I'll meet you there. This is what the Lord teaching me. And I bring glory to him no matter what. Mm. Bring glory to God. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. That's so awesome. Thank yeah. you. For, Thank this you. This is like the message here. Yeah. Um, there's there's a whole lot more to their story that we, we won't have time to go into. But thank you so much for being here. I do want to highlight one thing that you shared earlier. And that is that you guys have just celebrated your 20th anniversary. Yes. Yeah. Celebrate. 20 years, and through that, we've had our joys and happiness. We've experienced trials and sorrows. But with God at the center of your marriage, the vows that we took, we took them again, and we rededicated for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, till death do you part. Mm. We have just celebrated 20 years. Okay. The Lord. This, is not a, this is not a marriage message, but it just is reminding me that I heard someone say one time that um, when, when a husband gets sick, women typically stick by their man. A lot of times when a wife gets sick, guys don't. And so what an example uh, to us, uh, Tom, for you to stick by your wife. So anyway, just so many, so many great things that you guys are encouraging us with here this morning. I want to pray for them and their continued journey. If you would stand, I want to pray for all of us um, in the, the time, whatever darkness we might be experiencing right now, that we will cling to the promises of God for our hope. When uh, we will be dismissed after I pray, and I want to remind you, if you're a newcomer, we have a newcomer's networking time with our leadership that's available in this room over to my right. Tom and Rhonda are, are willing to, to hang out here and talk with, with any of you who might want to come and, and talk just a little bit more with them personally. We also will have our prayer team available down front here if you would like someone to pray with. So let's, uh, let's pray. Father, um, we thank you for this real-life story of clinging to your promises, even in the midst of difficult circumstances. Lord, as you called your people to that, 700 years before Jesus and made a prediction that things would get better and that a light would come. Lord, we still have promises to hold on to today that things will get better and the light will grow ever brighter to the full light of day. And we look forward to Jesus' return, but we thank you for his presence with us even now. And we thank you that you are the healer, that you are the giver of all good gifts, and we rejoice in you this day. Lord, help us as we go to cling to your promises.
for our confident hope. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Have a great week following Jesus, and we will see you next time.